book of Acts, Acts chapter number two, verses 37 through 47. As we look at Acts chapter two here this morning, verses 37 through 47, if you don't have your own copy of God's word, I hope that you will look in the chair in front of you because it should be about every three chairs or so there's a Bible there. And if you don't have your own copy of God's word, I hope that you'll take that with us, that you'll follow along today and you'll take that home and read it some on your own time. Do you remember where you were one year ago today? I remember where I was. I was right here in this room, and it looked a little bit differently than it does right now. It looked like this. It was pretty empty in here. It was empty save for the worship team, the AV team, and the staff that was putting on the live stream. The rest of you... One year ago today, we're watching church at home for the second week. And at first, when it came to the pandemic, things seemed somewhat surreal to us. The Monday before, we really understood and knew what COVID was. I remember sitting in an elder meeting, and I remember that we talked for a grand total of five minutes about COVID-19. Now, after that, we probably spent a good majority for several months of elder meetings talking about those things. But just a few days before that that happened, or before we really understood what COVID was, we just thought to ourselves, it was a brief five-minute conversation of, well, we'll encourage people to spread out a little bit, to put some hand sanitizer out, and just encourage people to understand if people had a few more questions or concerns there, or that they wanted to take some extra precautions. At that point, none of us really knew that this was going to turn into a life-altering event that it has been for each and every person here within this room or streaming with us this morning. That Wednesday night, though, everything changed. I remember coming home from the Awana Grand Prix, realizing that that was not, or that not realizing at the time that that was going to be the last time that we had Awana in person for that the rest of the year. I remember going home and turning on the television and seeing that the NBA had suspended their season due to COVID. It really got serious when we found out that Tom Hanks had COVID. And in that moment, everything changed. Now, we think and view things regarding COVID much differently now, but I think we should really remember that fear, that onset fear that we had when this first was happening. There was a virus going around that we did not understand anything about, that we were told at the time that people were going to be dying all over the place from, that there were going to be 10,000 cases in the state of Ohio each day, and this was a very scary time. I remember the next day that we were in a pastor's meeting, the three pastors here on staff, we have a meeting together once a week, and we were in that meeting, and it was interrupted by someone who said, you need to turn on uh, the news to see that the governor is going to be speaking here in Ohio, and it has special notifications for schools. And I remember that we walked down to Jane Miner's room, where Governor DeWine shared that we were going to be on a mandatory three-week spring break. I remember after that, just a few days later, where we canceled church for the first time, thinking at that time, we're going to see what happens in one week, and we'll go from there. I remember then as well, after that time, that 
the second weekend was at least for me the time where it really seemed like things got real. There was this reality setting in that things were not going to go back to normal anytime soon. At that time, we remember businesses shuttering, people isolating, and the fact that we could not go to the store and buy a loaf of bread or toilet paper for a while. Life suddenly became much different and much more isolated. Isolation is something that we've all felt the reality of during the pandemic. I remember once we found a little bit more out about COVID and we understood who were really in the at-risk groups regarding this virus, learning that I really was someone that would be largely unaffected if they got it, and largely I was. But I remember during that time, the biggest fear that I felt as a single guy who lived on his own was that isolation was that idea that I could not be around people that mattered to me. I could not be in my Christian community. I couldn't be around the people that I loved. Isolation is something that we've all felt during this time, whether we've had COVID or we haven't. Many of us have been isolated from loved ones that we haven't been able to see for the last year and that we deeply miss. Some tuning into the stream have been away from church for the longest time that they have for their entire life because it isn't safe for them yet to be able to come back and be here with us at church. And for those of you that are in that boat, I hope to encourage you by saying, we know you're here. We're encouraged that you're tuning in. We're thankful that you're a part of our fellowship and that we know that in the right time that you'll be back and you'll be joining us again in person. Thank you for faithfully tuning in to our streams. Some of you have been working at home during this time. You've been doing school virtually. And what you really want is just to be able to go back into your regular office space, just to see your classmates in school, just to go back to that sense of normal that we once had. As we think about these things and as we realize this, we realize that we've all felt this pain and isolation. And at least for me, as I know it is for many of you, it's caused us to do a great amount of reflecting. Reflecting on what matters, reflecting on what we appreciate, and reflecting on the opportunities that we have to be together. I would say that the Lord has been teaching me many things during this time, that he's been teaching many of you as well. Things such as this. Personally, over the last year, I've found that I need to have a greater thankfulness for the community that God has placed in my life. That I shouldn't take for granted the opportunities that I have to meet with loved ones because I don't know if I'm going to have that opportunity again. I found that I have a deeper appreciation for the Christian community around me and for my need for them. I'm continuing to see as a pastor and as a church leader that I'm focusing less on the number of people in church but on the actual souls that are here. I'm encouraged by the opportunity to worship together because I see so often, or so how quickly that can be taken away. I've learned that while connecting online is a wonderful gift from the Lord and something I'm very thankful that we have men serving that we're, and so we're able to do, that it doesn't fully replace our need for in-person fellowship and connection. Being able to scream, to stream and connect digitally is a wonderful gift from God, but at best, it's a substitute 
It's not the real thing. It's not what God has wired us for. He's wired us to be together in community. And as we talk about community today, I would say that longing for a sense of community is something that's there regardless of whether you're an introvert or an extrovert. I've talked to some of you during this time throughout the room that would consider yourselves to be incredibly introverted that have especially struggled during this time because even though you may not be sociable with some others in the room, there's that deep sense of connection of being together that's there, that's wired within us, that's incredibly meaningful within our lives, and that transcends how sociable we are in a room together. As we talk about community, I want to make sure that we specify the differences between Christian community and the regular community we find ourselves in. Because we all have our personal communities that we fill up with people, and all of those are different. Your community is filled up with family members, with friends, with co-workers, neighbors, maybe old high school connections or acquaintances from town. It's filled with folks from local organizations, with sports teams or common interests that you're involved in. But also your community is filled with your church. And Christian community is so much different from other communities in that so often we find people that are so much different than us. In this room right now, we have many generations represented. We have newborn children in this room. We've been going to, we have folks that have been going to Delaware Bible Church twice as long as I've been alive. And within this community of believers, we find people that are much different from, from where we would be. Different politically, different in their economic status, different in all these different things, but yet we gather together united by the same Christ. And as we gather together, as we've seen through our Christian community, the Lord allows strong and deep, incredibly meaningful relationships with people who aren't exactly just like us. And that's a really great and wonderful gift that God has given us. For many of us, the relationships that we form within our Christian community fill in the gaps of the relational needs that we have. For some of you, through your Christian community here within this church, the Lord has provided a spiritual father, mother, sister, grandparent, or someone that has been an incredible blessing and encouragement into your life. Some of you have found relationships with those who are of similar age, who you've been able to walk through a trial with that has just felt like a brother or sister that you never had. Others have been incredibly blessed to be spiritual grandparents as they've worked through our children's ministries or as they've gotten to know younger families within our church and established deep relationships there. For me, I can look through this room and see, as I know many of you can, spiritual heroes of the faith to me. People who I deeply love, respect, and admire their Christian walk. People that I want to be like. And what a gift these people are that we're able to have all these different people from all these different backgrounds, from all these different professions, from all these different everything else, and we're able to be here together, united under the same Christ. Christian community is incredibly important. And as these, as the Lord has allowed these deep personal and meaningful relationships, I would say that through the last year, all of us have experienced and know the fact 
that we need Christian community and it's a really big deal. It's a gift from God and it's something that we should seek to cultivate here together. But as we said earlier, we can get community from a lot of different places. We can fill our social calendar up with folks who aren't followers of Christ. So why is Christian community in and of itself such an important thing? As we look at two big questions today, we're going to seek to answer that. As we first look at what true biblical Christian community is. And secondly, as we see why that is so important. Our time here together as a Christian community is an incredibly important time. And so as we seek to cultivate that time and make the most of it, we're going to ask several questions to ourselves. The first one being this, what does true Christian community include? If we were to say, these are the things that you need to have to have a Christian community, what would they include? Well, the first thing that they would include would be Christians. In order to have a Christian community, you first have to have followers of Jesus Christ. Now, that may seem overly simplistic or just kind of a duh statement, but if we were to go around town or even here within the room of Delaware Bible Church, we would see people that enjoy being together, that fellowship, that talk about important things that are going on within the community or things they enjoy, but they are not followers of Jesus Christ. And in order to have a true, real, biblical Christian community, the first thing that we have to have are followers of Jesus Christ. Looking here within Acts chapter 2, let's begin by reading verses 37 through 41. They say this, Now when they had heard this, they were cut to the heart. We'll talk about what they heard here in just a minute. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Verse 39, For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord called our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. We see through this text what it means to become a true follower of Jesus Christ. And as we begin by looking at a Christian community, including Christians, the first question we need to ask ourselves is this. How can I become a Christian? How can I become a follower of Jesus Christ? Well, I would say this text shows us that we have to do three things. We have to hear, we have to believe, and we have to receive. We first have to hear. This text shares with us in verse 37 that they heard something, that these people heard a message. And if we were to look at the passage right before this one, we would see that these people were at the day of Pentecost, where they heard Peter's proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ. They heard the gospel message. They heard that Jesus lived a perfect life, that he was the sinless savior for all mankind, that he humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, and died for our sins on the cross, and that through his payment for our sins that we could have a relationship with God again, that we could receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
And it shares with us in this text that that day, as they heard that message, about 3,000 people came to become followers of Jesus Christ. That happened because they didn't simply hear that message, but I love the imagery that the Bible uses here, because they were cut to the heart by it. What they heard was not simply an information that they took in and stored in their brain. There was this soul work that God did in cutting their heart, not literally, but figuratively, and that there was a conviction there where they knew their need to trust in Christ. They were cut to the heart. And that conviction them asked them to, or asked them to say, what should we do about this? And it shares with us in the first part of verse 38 that they needed to believe. It shares with us that they had to do two things. Number one, they had to repent. And number two, they had to be baptized. Let's first talk about them repenting. I love the way John Piper talks about the word repenting. He says, repenting is a change of heart or change of the mind's perceptions and dispositions and purpose. Repenting means experiencing a change of mind that now sees God as true and beautiful and worthy of all our praise and obedience. Repentance is this inward change that we make. We'll get to baptism in a minute, but that's the outward showing of that change that we make. So as we see repentance here within the text, we see that repentance is a theme that we see Jesus talking about often. For example, in Luke chapter 5, verse 32, Jesus shares with us, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus shares with us as well that the only way that we can be truly in a right relationship with God is is to trust in his finished work on the cross and to repent of our sin, to confess our sin to God and to trust that he will save us from our sins. The Bible shares with us in Luke 13.3 that without repentance, we cannot be in a right relationship with God. As Jesus shares, unless you will repent, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. We are to repent of our sins and we are to be baptized. Now, I want to be careful with this verse because this passage is one that is often misinterpreted to say that baptism is an essential part of the salvation process. And that's not something we believe as a church. And in fact, I believe that if you look at the whole of Scripture, we'll see that that's not the case. If we look at passages such as Titus 3, 5, it shares with us that he, that Jesus, saved us, not because of works done in righteousness, not because of any work, which baptism is a work that we could do, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration, or by being brought by new life and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Baptism is an, in, is an outward sign of an inward change. It's showing that we have made the decision to trust and follow in Jesus Christ, that our heart has been cut, as this verse talks about, and that we have believed in what God has told us, that we have called upon the name of the Lord for salvation. Finally, then, as we believe, then, we then receive We receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, of the power of salvation that's given to us through Jesus Christ. Verse 38b through 41 shares that with us. It says, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
Verse 39, for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are off, everyone whom the Lord calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. We see first that a true Christian community needs Christians in order to be a true Christian community. And so the question we should ask ourselves then is this, am I truly a follower of Jesus Christ? Have I heard God's words of truth? Do I believe them? Have I repented? Have I done what God has told me to do in calling upon the name of the Lord for salvation? Am I truly a follower of Jesus Christ? Have I received the gift of the Holy Spirit? I hope that if you have not done that, whether you're here within this room or whether you're streaming our services here today, that you will make that personal commitment to follow and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and personal Savior. It's the most important decision that you will ever make, and it's the only way that you can truly walk in Christian community with us here in this body. Secondly, though, Christian community includes teaching. A big part of being a Christian is hearing teaching. And it shares with us in verse 42 these things that the Christian community, this new community of believers now did. It shares with us in 40, verse 42 that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Stop there. As we look at this text, it first talks about the things that the apostles or that these believers devoted themselves to. And those words devoted themselves is derived from the Greek words that talk about continually persisting in something. That as we're devoting for, as we're devoting ourselves to something, we don't just do it one time. It's something that we continually do. These believers did not simply repent, get baptized, and move on with their life. They had these other processes or things that they did then. And the first of that was that they heard teaching. And they heard the apostles' teaching. Now remember at that time, they didn't have the written word of God, the Bible, in their hands as we have today. But they did have the apostles or the disciples of Christ who were faithfully teaching what God had revealed to them and what Jesus had taught them. The content of the truth that they were sharing would have included the life and teachings of Christ, including the good news of his death and his resurrection. These apostles would teach believers how to grow and how to mature in their faith. And although we do not have apostles that are here teaching us today, we do have God's written word, the Bible. And we do gather weekly to teach it. And we stress the importance of gathering together to hear teaching in God's word. And so we should ask ourselves this question. Am I growing in my knowledge of the truth of God's word through the teaching of the church. I hope that every week that you come to church, you're able to walk away and say, I learned something, or I was reminded of something, or God greatly used this time to grow me in my relationship with the Lord. We should be growing in our knowledge of the truth during our time together. And as we practically seek to apply that, we should ask ourselves this question, am I able to pay attention to the truth that is being taught to me. What we're doing here within this room right now is incredibly important for each of our spiritual lives. 
It's important that we hear God's word being taught. And it's important that we do the best job that we can do as believers to make sure that we can pay attention. For many of you streaming during this time, you will be able to relate, as I did when I was streaming, that it's a whole lot easier to be distracted by the stuff going on when you're streaming from home. There's distractions all over the place, and there's no one around you really keeping you accountable for not, for not goofing around on your phone or going into a different room or all the other distractions that are there at home. But you know, there's a lot of distractions here too. And if we're not really careful, we can give in to those distractions. If we're not really careful, it's easy for us to zone out and really kind of miss part of the message. If we're not careful in intentionally keeping the right mindset as we come in, it's really easy for us to go out in the commons, to talk a lot, to rush in right before the first song begins, and to never really focus on the meaning of the message until partway through the message itself. What can you do as a follower of Jesus Christ to really make sure you're paying attention and making the most of the truth that you're learning, regardless of where you're watching from? My encouragement for you is to really consider that. Maybe it's you have that devotional time before you come into church, that quiet time. Maybe it's praying on the way here, praying that God would illuminate your mind and heart to the truth. Make sure that you're doing whatever you can to pay attention to the truth. Teaching was a vital part in the early church body, and it's a vital part of this church as well. But number three for Christian community, we need fellowship. We need Christians, we need teaching, and we need fellowship. It shares in verse 42 that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship. That word fellowship comes from the word koinonia, which literally means partnership or sharing. As we gather as a church, there is a partnership, a sharing that's going on. And it's not simply one person. We're all sharing here right now. I'm teaching you, but also you're participating in the process. We're singing together. We're worshiping together. We're giving together. We're doing all these different things together. And that's incredibly important. There is a partnership that's going on here. These believers that we see here within this text were sharing in worship and life together. Being together was a regular part of what they did. We'll see that characterized within this text, both in their place of worship and in their private homes. And following or at fellowshipping with other people we can see that through doing this, those believers and us as well were fulfilling the Lord's command found in John 13, verses 34 through 35, which share with us this, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. God has wired you and I to need the fellowship of other believers. That's one of the reasons why it feels good to come to church and be around people, because God's wired us for this, and it's a unique place where we can do it. The teaching of God's word is of utmost priority, and it's the biggest reason why we meet together, but we should not discount fellowship. 
It's vitally important that we have this love for one another. We need more than simply knowledge. We need strong, biblically-based relationships. I remember several years back that I found myself at a point in life where I had a loss of a relationship that was incredibly important to me. And it was an incredibly difficult experience for me. I remember that time struggling with grief and depression for about four months. I remember during that time that it really took me about a year and a half before I truly felt completely normal again. And I remember that time that I was feeling that grief about the loss of a personal relationship. I was losing my roommate at the time, and I felt like I was completely isolated and alone. I surrounded myself with social activities. I surrounded myself with people, but I felt alone. I spent time, I spent time in God's word. I understand and knew who God was. I had re- recited verses back to myself of scripture, yet I was just continually struggling. Yet I remember that there was a night when I got together with a man here from the church a man who I'm very close with, a man who shared this invitation with me. He said to me, Brad, if you need to have company, then come over. He said, don't wait for an invitation. Don't wait for us to ask. If you need somewhere to go, then come over. Now, I understood God's word. I understood the sovereignty of God. I understood the good things that God was doing. But when I look back at that time, I remember so vividly how much that helped me in knowing that there was a community of believers and there was a place that when I felt alone that I could go and I could be there with other believers. And that fellowship is incredibly important. In fact, as I look back at that time, if it were not for fellowship of people within this church body, I would have been in a bad place. And that fellowship that we have here is deeply important. We need to know the truth. We need to understand and apply the truth, but we must have fellowship within the church body. Deep fellowship is a gift from God. And something that I hope we all experience here within the body. You should come to church here. You should be able to tune in and say, I belong here. This is my church. This is my fellowship. This is my body. And so the question that we have to ask ourselves is this. Is fellowship a priority in our lives? Is fellowship a priority to you? Do you really enjoy the gathering together? Is it a priority to you? Fourth, we see that a mark of true Christian fellowship is that of ordinances. It's that of ordinances. We see here within the text the believers taking ordinances. And we see within verse 42 that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread. That breaking of bread was a reference to partaking in the Lord's Supper or in observing communion together. 
Previously, though, in verse 41, we see the other ordinance that the Lord has commanded us to because we see these new believers getting baptized. And these are the two ordinances that the Lord has commanded for us to observe as a church, and we continue to do that. We do that through communion once a month. Quarterly, we do it in the a.m., and the rest of the time, we do it in the p.m. We want to make sure that every believer here at Delaware Bible Church has the opportunity to partake and remember together. Baptisms, we do about quarterly, but here's the reality. We love to fill up the baptismal tank. Kyle loves to do it, and every time we need to dunk somebody in the baptism back there, we are glad to do it. And as we observe these things, we see that these are things that we do again together within community. Just a few weeks back, as we had a baptism service here in this room, and we celebrated and remembered those who were getting or the testimonies of those who were getting baptized, we saw and heard this outward sign of the inward change that the Lord had worked in these people's lives. We heard their testimonies. We cheered them on. We rejoiced. It was really loud and encouraging here. In fact, so much so that I was talking to some of the other staff members and said, man, we need to have more baptism services like that on Sunday mornings because it was such an encouraging time together. And as we observe these things together, we see that as we gather and do these things, as we do them together, that it's a blessing to us, that there's good things that come out of it. As we gather together for communion, as we share testimonies about, what the, about the work that God is doing in our lives, and as we partake in the elements and remembering, we do that together. As we uh, see people baptized, we realize that we can't baptize ourselves, that we need an audience to watch, that we need a person to baptize us. We do it together. So we must ask ourselves then this question, am I regularly participating in church services where the ordinances are observed? Am I regularly participating here when we're having these services? I've said this previously here in the pulpit, and I truly believe it. Our Sunday gatherings for communion, whether they're on Sunday morning or on Sunday night, should be some of our most well-attended gatherings at Delaware Bible Church. Because we are remembering what the Lord has commanded us to remember. We are, and when we celebrate these baptisms together, we are seeing and acknowledging the work that God has done in a believer's life. Even in between services here, I was, some guy was walking in and he shared with someone who recently got baptized what a blessing his testimony was to them. What a wonderful thing that was to hear as he witnessed his baptism, as he participated in it. These ordinances are a regular part of the fellowship of the church, but as well, finally, prayer is. This text shares with us that the final thing that these believers participated in together was in prayer. Prayer was the lifeblood of the local church, and it's something that is incredibly important. And you as a believer have the opportunity to bless others through prayer, unlike anything else. Regardless of, or if, if I am seeking to encourage a lost person, there's a lot of ways that I can do that. There's a lot of service acts, kind words that I can say. But when I say that I'm praying for them, they don't fully understand what that means like a believer does. What a privilege it is that we have the opportunity to pray corporately together, privately and personally with one another and on our own as well. 
And we see that prayer here was really important to the church and that they prayed both personally and together corporately for others within the church body. So the question to ask yourself is this, am I regularly setting aside time in my life to pray? Is prayer a regular part of your life? I don't think I've ever met a follower of Jesus Christ who said, I have a great prayer life that I'm completely satisfied with. Prayer is something that takes work for all of us. Are you regularly setting aside times to pray for those within the church body? As we gather together, are you uplifting others in prayer? And if you were to say, Brad, I really struggle with having regular times in my day that I'm praying, that I spend time in prayer, let me just give you one practical piece of advice just to consider. If you really have a hard time of the personal discipline of prayer on your own, maybe one thing to consider is to attend prayer meeting here on a Wednesday evening. Because during that time, if you attend that time here together within our fellowship, you're going to be praying. You're going to be praying for the needs of others. You're going to be praying for our church. They're going to, people are going to be praying for your needs. And it's a time that we regularly set aside where you can do that together as a body. And just to think, if, if you're just struggling with, I, I just have a hard time praying, maybe consider I'm going to put that into my schedule one hour a week. Now, of course, that shouldn't be the only time you're praying, and you don't have to go to prayer meeting to pray effectively. So make sure that you are putting those regular, those regular times within your life where you are making prayer a priority, both for yourself, for others, and for those within this fellowship. The true marks of Christian community are shared here. Number one, we have to have Christians. Number two, we have to have teachings. Of the teachings of God's word and the truth of it. Number three, we have to have fellowship. Number four, we have to observe the ordinances. Number five, we have to have prayer. And we see that as we have these elements and as we combine them together, God does something really special. In fact, he does a lot of special things, and that's what we're going to see next, what Christian community produces. God does something special through our Christian fellowship. And as we look at that, let's look, go down to verse 43 together. It shares with us the first thing that Christian community produced, where it says, And awe came upon every soul. Stop there. The first thing that Christian community produces is awe. Through our Christian community, we have an awe or a reverential respect of God. These believers were astonished by God and the work that he was doing in and through them. It is a wonderful thing when we gather together at times and we are in awe of God. When we are seeing together the work that God is doing here within our body and we say amen or we praise in fellowship or we are able to encourage somebody based off the work that God is doing I hope that as you gather together, you have a greater sense of awe in God and who he is. I love how Paul Tripp defined awe. And speaking of his personal reflection on this, he said, I came to see that I was wired for awe. That awe of something sits at the bottom of everything I say and do. But I wasn't just wired for awe. I was wired for awe of God. No other awe satisfies the soul. 
No other awe can give my heart the praise, rest, and security that it seeks. I came to see that I needed to trace awe of God down to the most mundane of human decisions and activities. God created an awesome world. God intentionally loaded the world with amazing things to leave you astounded. The carefully air-conditioned termite mound in Africa. The tart crunchiness of an apple. The explosion of thunder. The beauty of an orchid. The independent systems of the human body. The inexhaustible pounding of the ocean waves. And thousands of other created signs, sounds, touches, and tastes. God designed all to be awesome. And he intended you to be daily amazed. Awe is a wonderful gift from God that is produced by Christian fellowship. And as these believers were in awe of God, specifically, they were astonished by the wonders and signs that God was doing through the power of the Holy Spirit as they saw next wonders and signs. They saw wonders and signs. Now, these wonders and signs that we see here are within verse 43 as well. It shares with us that awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. So these apostles were doing these great works or acts. And as they were doing these actions, they were doing things such as miracles, such as healing the sick, helping people, sharing the the authenticity and authority behind the message that they shared. Now, as we think about this, we have to remember a couple things. Remember, during this time period, that these believers did not have God's written word again, as we do. And they were living in a polytheistic society, or they were living in a society where there were multiple gods. There were many gods that a person may worship. If a person wanted rain for their crops, they may sacrifice and give an idol and pray towards a God that will bring rain. If they needed personal healing, there was a God for that. There was a God for each and everything that they needed. And they were continuing to make up other ones as they went. As well during that time, there were people that were coming into communities who were false teachers, who were walking around and saying, I come with a word from the Lord. I am a prophet. I am an apostle. And these people needed a way to verify that the people that were sharing these things were legit. So how did God do that? Well, he allowed these disciples to do these miraculous works where if you saw them, you would say, okay, that person's got the credentials. That's the right person. That's the person that is really going to give us a true word from God. Now, as we look at that, We do not believe here as a church body today, it's within our doctrinal statement that we do not believe that these sign gifts, these miracle healings and things that were being done are gifts that are available for us today as believers. As we have been gifted with the fully revealed word of God, but yet we can still so many times be in awe of the work that God is doing, of the healings, of the miracles, of the different things that are going on here within the church body through God, of the wonders and signs that he produces, of the things that we look at and just say, that had to have been God. There is no human explanation for that. We see wonders and signs being produced through fellowship, but also we see generosity. 
These believers were generous. It shares in verse 44, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all who had any need. As this verse talks about those being all in common, it did not share that these people were all exactly the same. They didn't all come from the same family. They didn't all come from the same background. There were a lot of things that made them different. But what this verse is referring to is the unified willingness of this of these people to sell their possessions, to sell what they had, to take care of the needs of those within the church body. The resources that they were collecting were get and selling were given to those in need. Now, just like the verse on baptism, we have to be careful with this one because this is actually a proof text that some people would use to say, Communism is, is a biblical principle. And actually, if we were to look at that, as we look at the realm of Scripture, and as, again, we don't isolate the text, we would say that that's not correct. Because what we do not see within this text is the government authorities telling the people to sell their, their possessions for the collective good. These people were doing it as God was working in their heart. It was not some governmental authority structure. It was an outpouring of work from God through what was going on within their Christian community. Additionally, it shares with us in verse 46 that these people were going back to their homes, to their property, to worship. Getting rid of private property isn't shown here, or it isn't shown in other texts, such as Acts 5-4, where Peter tells Ananias and Sapphira that they did not have an obligation to sell their property and give away their money. God works in each of us different through our generosity. What may be generous to you may be a little bit di different than from what's generous to me, but we can, through our generosity, bless and encourage others within the church body. And through that, we see that people are more important than possessions. That these believers realized that what's more important than the things that I own are that the people that I'm able to bless and encourage and grow in their faith with. Our awe of God and our obedience to him and his word are shown as we sacrificially give to other people. Now, no pastor or elder at this church has access to the tithe records of the congregation. The only regular, the only regular gift that I know at Delaware Bible Church is the one that I give. I don't know what anyone else gives. But we don't have to have access to the giving records of the church to see how God works through the sacrificial giving of others within our church body. Through folks from church giving above and beyond their normal gifts into our what we call our benevolent fund, we're able to take care of the needs of those within our body and as well as those from the community that say, I need extra help right now. And with those who come in from the community, I'm able to sit down with them, talk to them about their needs, see how we can help, share the gospel with them, and invite them to church. And that's not something we put in our budget. That's something that you all personally give towards. And we've been blessed during this COVID-19 season to be able to give in that way and help people in that way. And it's been a wonderful thing. Those within our church body and those outside as well. Occasionally, we'll have someone contact the church office and say, hey, I've really been blessed here, and I just want to give towards a church family in need. Can you share with me someone who has a need, and I'd like to anonymously give towards that? 
And what a blessing it is to be able to contact that person and tell them, hey, somebody wanted to give towards the need that they knew you had. I remember when we were redoing the auditorium that many of you are seated in right now. And I remember when we did that, we raised money to do it. And we had a need of $7,000 at the end of our giving time in order to be able to do it that upcoming summer. And I remember being a little bit bummed out because I didn't think we were going to be able to do it that summer. And then I remember one day that there was someone from our church who came and knocked on my door. And they came in and they said, how much more do we need to do that project this summer? Well, we need $7,000. And that person came in and said, I want to take care of that need. I remember just a couple months back At the end of December, when we brought our Sacrifice Sunday offering here within the church, we shared a need of $12,500 in order for those within our our church staff and, and with those within our Delaware Christian School staff to be able to go through biblical counseling training that's going to be offered here to all of us here within this room beginning in September. And we shared that need of $12,500, and one person anonymously donated that entire amount to provide biblical counseling training. We have been able to be blessed, and we're blessed by the sharing of our gifts within the local church community, because people are more important than possessions. Unity in giving and generosity blesses others, and it brings glory to God. Next, we see, though, that Christian fellowship together produces gladness. It produces gladness both in public worship and in private worship. Verse 46 shares this with us, as it says, And day by day, attending the temple together, publicly, public worship, and breaking bread in their homes, private worship, they received their food with glad and generous Hearts. Wherever these people were, whether it was in public together or in private, they were gathering together and they were enjoying this time together. It made them glad. It made their hearts happy as it makes our hearts happy as we gather together, as we spend time privately with those within the church who are a great blessing to us. These are good gifts from God. I love the way that the MacArthur Bible Commentary talks about this. It says that the Jerusalem church was joyful because its single focus was on Jesus Christ. As we focus our attention on Jesus Christ, it brings awe, it brings fellowship, it brings joy. Next, we see that these people then had a strong public witness that this fellowship produced a strong public witness. It says in verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people. Stop there. As we see this public witness there, we see that the awe of God that these people experienced through the power of the Holy Spirit allowed them to have a strong public witness to other people. We learn to love others well when we walk together in a strong Christian community that, and that love then is poured out to others. I love at times being able to go out in the community and I'm talking to someone that I've never met before and they ask me, what did I do for a living? And I say, well, I'm a pastor at Delaware Bible Church. And they'll say to me, oh, I know that person that goes to Delaware Bible Church or that family and what an incredible blessing they are to me. That's a wonderful gift from God. It's a great public witness. It's wonderful when people can look at our church and say, 
I know that guy. I know that person in authority. I know that person. And they have a strong testimony of faith. And it show, it shares, it shows wonderfully on our church fellowship. It shows a great public witness, one that we can't have just on our own. It's a collective thing. I can have a good public witness. You can have a good public witness. But when we have it together, man, God can do some wonderful works here through the church. And we gain that through Christian fellowship together. Finally, the last thing that we see is conversions. That not only did these people have an attractive public witness, but the people came to Christ through it. It shares at the end of verse 47 that the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. That God saved people. That it wasn't just looking good in the community. That it was about people coming to Christ. So that they could glorify and be in awe of God forever. Just like we're able to do. Others were attracted to this. And God is not done in that work. As we seek to have a strong Christian fellowship together, people come to Christ. And that's exciting, and it is a wonderful, wonderful gift from God. So we've seen what Christian community is. We've seen what it produces. And I just have a few final points that I would like to share, just as some overarching themes here within this text. And that first point is this, that the early church prioritized being together, and we should as well. Our time together as a church is incredibly important. The reality is this, that it is spiritually detrimental for believers to be outside of the Christian community of believers for an extended amount of time. Now, as I say that, I understand that there is this real tension right now. There is this real tension because there are some of you who would give anything to be here right now, but because of health risks, you're not able to do so. And for you, I would say there is absolutely nothing wrong and you should feel no shame whatsoever for not being able to join us in person right now. There is nothing wrong and it's completely legitimate for you to not come to church at this time due to a legitimate severe health risk on your own or for someone that is in your care. If you fall into that camp, though, my encouragement for you is to really be deeply considering at this time what the conditions must be for when it's the right time for you to come back. Talk to your doctor, talk to a physician, talk to people within your life and find out when is it going to be the right time for me to come back. Be considering now what those conditions would be and if there's a need that the church leadership needs to do to make it so that you would be able to come back, I hope that you'll contact me, one of the pastors, one of the elders, and we will see if we can in some way make that work for you. We want you to be here, but we understand that you cannot be. And yet there's a second group that I want to address as well with that. And as a pastor as a shepherd of this flock, as someone who is one day going to give an account for leading and guiding this church, please know that I say this in love. If you are staying at home right now because you find streaming more convenient or because you do not like our mask policy of having to wear a mask in, out, and around the building, it's time for you to come back to church. 
You choosing a lifestyle of convenience, of streaming at home instead of being here when you clearly can be is detrimental to this Christian community and it is detrimental to your spiritual health. You choosing to allow your personal preference of not wanting to wear a mask in, out, and around this building, letting that decide whether or not you will fellowship with this church is detrimental to your spiritual health. We need you here, and you need us. And as we say that, there is admonitions for us within this room as well. The early church was unified in their generosity and care for others, and we should be too. We should be striving to meet the needs of others here within our body in any way that we can. If there's a need, we should take care of it. If there's something that we can do, we should do it. And we have unique opportunities now to be able to serve and connect with those that can't be here in such a way that we've never had previously. Let's take advantage of those opportunities. We see within the New Testament the power of a unified church. In my personal devotional time, I've been reading through the book of 1 Corinthians, and I continue to see that theme of unity, 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 and what a powerful thing it is here within the church. We need to be unified in our generosity and care for others. And so often right now, it can be easy for us to break that unity for a bunch of preferential things that really aren't that big of a deal. It is not worth us losing our unity over these masks right here. It's not worth it. It is not worth us losing our unity because we disagree with political things that are going on right now. It is not worth losing our unity because we disagree with some people here. God has given us a much greater and much more important job to do, and we need to be doing it. Not arguing over things that in a few months from now we'll probably forget about. We need to be focused on the generosity and care for others. And finally, we see this, that the early church had a strong public witness into the community, and we should too. What needs to be marked of Delaware Bible Church is that we are loving others in the community well, that we are sharing the truth of God's word with them, and that they are seeing what a joy it is to be in Christian community together. Let's look to the Lord in prayer together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we are so grateful and thankful for the gift of Christian community. We thank you, God, that you, through your Son, Jesus Christ, have not only saved us, but that you allow us to live and enjoy life together. And God, I pray for those who are not in this room right now, who are streaming, that would just give everything to be here right now, but they can't. I pray, Lord, that you would encourage them by letting them know that they are still a part of our fellowship, that we care about them, that we love them. I pray, Lord, that you would help those here within this room to be motivated to reach out to them. Lord, that they would know that they don't walk alone, that they are not isolated, that you have gifted us with people, and that those people help us draw us closer in our relationship with you. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be a church that is unified. That although we may be very different, 
that we put our Christian unity and fellowship above all, that we put your truth above all, and Lord, that you produce much fruit through this Christian community. I thank you for it. I thank you for all those who represent this community. I pray, Lord, that you would work mightily in each of our lives for your honor and for your glory. And I pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.